It's time now for The Complete Story with Rich and Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich and Dick Bott with today's Complete Story. Well, you know, Rich, uh, I've said many, many times uh, over the past 55 years, actually, when we're talking to our audience, our Bot Radio Network audience is like talking to the family because we're a Christian station. And the premise of our programming, Bible teaching, Christian news information, is on that basis. We're Christians, so we really are part of the Christian family, aren't we? And well, by, the, by, by the way, it's nice to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. I've been uh, traveling to some exciting places, seeing what God is doing uh, around our country. And uh, I'm excited about the prospects for a, another Great Awakening-style revival. But yes, Bot Radio Network is all about Christian broadcasting, but more specifically than that, it's Christian talk radio to help people grow in their faith and then apply their faith in their daily lives. Well, and we do this with quality Bible teaching, Christian news, and information. Yeah, well, with what you've just said, now we're going to start out with a song. But it's a song that is exactly in tune with this program that we're so recording. So it illustrates what we're going to talk about. Here it is, folks, the family of God. Notice we say, brother and sister around here. You know why? It's because we're family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory. In this family so dear I'm so glad I'm a part Of the family of God I've been washed in the fountain Cleansed by His blood Join heirs with Jesus As we travel the sun for I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. Oh, sing the song. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel the sun. For I'm part of the family, 
Yes, I'm part of the family. The family of God. Yeah, and then, you know what, Rich? Um, the family of God. I don't know how many years ago I heard somebody say this and kind of shook me for a second, but he's absolutely true. God is not even an American, let alone we can we say, oh, God's a Baptist or, or a Methodist or a, a Nazarene or Assemblies of God. God is God, and we are part of his family. That's why this message that I want our audience to hear is so important. Well, we're part of his family, assuming we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, because that's the only way we can have access to God. You know, we have been privileged to know so many wonderful preachers of the gospel over the years, one of which was uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers. And his message that I just happened to hear the other day, I said, oh, that is good. I want to bring that to our weekend audience on the complete story. I want them to think about this now. Dr. Adrian Rogers was the pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He was two times, I think, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. But he was a gentleman, and he preached the gospel, and he preached the Bible. And that's what he pointed people to is the cross of Christ, not to be a Baptist or not to be this denomination or that denomination, but be a Christian. And that really resonated with me. It does. You know, one of the, one of his hallmarks uh, of his ministry is is the phrase, come to Jesus. And when he would conclude his message and invite people to come to know the Lord as their Savior, he would, he would use that expression, come to Jesus. Yeah. And on his headstone where he is buried, it says, come to Jesus, yeah. in quotes. Well, we, you hear him on Love Worth Finding yes. radio broadcast and Bot Radio Network, plus all over the United States on so many others. But folks, turn your radio up now and just listen to this and see if you get the same blessing out of it that I did. Here it is. John chapter 4, look if you will in verse 24. Hear the words of Jesus. Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Have you ever been in a boring worship service? Be careful how you answer. (laughs) Listen, you have never been in a boring worship service. You may have been in a boring church service, but if you have been worshiping God, (laughs) that is one of the most thrilling, exciting, fulfilling, and meaningful things that could possibly happen to you to learn to worship God in spirit and in truth will turn the monotonous into the momentous, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Now listen to me, folks. What we're talking about today is not incidental. It is the bottom line. It is the ultimate priority. It is the highest good to worship him. It is your supreme duty. It is your maximum privilege. They ask Jesus, What is the greatest commandment? Now, they ask the greatest teacher, I suppose the greatest question, and the greatest question would be, what is the greatest commandment? And the Lord Jesus gave the answer in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart 
and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. One Lord, one love. Now, if you keep this commandment, you'll be blessed. If you fail to keep it, you will suffer. In the passage that we have before us, John chapter 4, the word worship is used at least 10 times, some form of the word to worship. And I believe that it is the definitive passage in all of the New Testament on the subject of worship. Now, let me give you the background for this statement that Jesus made in John chapter 4 and verse 24, that uh, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Lord Jesus is on a journey, and I want you to notice uh, in verse 4, the Bible says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, our Lord is going uh, up to Galilee, and uh, he has been down in uh, the southern part of the land of Israel, uh, down in Judah, and now he has turned northward, and he is going to Galilee. Now, normally, when a Jew of this day and age would go from uh, the southern part to the northern part of the land, he would not go, I say he, he would not go through Samaria. He would take a detour for two reasons. Number one, the detour was the easiest way to go down along the banks of the River Jordan where there were not so many rocky uh, crags and mountains and uh, precipitous uh, places to fall. That was the easiest way to travel. But besides that, they went around Samaria, very frankly, because they did not like the Samaritans. Now, that's to put it mildly. They abhorred the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans returned the favor. Now, who were the Samaritans? Well, in the year 721 B.C., the people of Israel who had rebelled against the Lord were carried away captive. Now, their captors... Uh, took the strongest and the best, the most noble, the most educated, the uh, finest of the people away captive, but they left the sick, the weak, the poor, and the illiterate, they left them in the land. They said, we don't want to bother with you. And so the others are carried away uh, captive. Well, these people who were left in this land uh, that we call Samaria, uh, they began to intermarry with themselves began to reinforce the gene pool of weakness. And besides that, some Babylonian stragglers came in, and they began to marry with these uh, Jews who were left behind. And the Babylonians brought their paganism in, and uh, the Jews would have nothing to do with these people. They, they looked down upon them. They would not even eat out of a plate that had been eaten out of by a Samaritan, no matter how many times you washed it. Now, the Samaritans uh, wanted to go down to Jerusalem to worship, but uh, they were not allowed. <laughs> they were told to stay out. So they built their own uh, place of worship, their own house of worship on a mountain that was there in Samaria called Mount Gerizim. So you had two places to worship. You had Mount Zion where the temple was and then Mount Gerizim where the, uh, the Samaritans worshiped. Now, that's the background. And the Bible says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. That is, he had a divine appointment because as we're going to see in just a moment, there was a woman there who needed redemption. She needed to be saved. She needed the Savior. It was not accidental. It was not incidental. It was a purpose of our Lord to go through Samaria to this 
uh, forsaken place by the Jews and to meet this woman who would have been so despised by the Jews. Uh, it was a divine appointment. I, I believe that God rules over everything. I believe not a blade of grass moves without his permission. And I believe that God has every one of us here by divine appointment because we, like this woman of old, are going to meet the Savior here in this place. Now, uh, let's continue to read and see what happened here. Verse 5, Then he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. By the way, I have been to Jacob's well on a, a number of occasions. That well is still there. It's one of the most authentic places in the Holy Land. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away unto the city to buy meat, that is, to buy food. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me? You can almost hear a snarl in her voice as she says this, which am a woman of Samaria. Now, it's bad enough that she was a Samaritan, but she was a woman of Samaria. And uh, the, the women of this day were looked down upon and denigrated. And she says, Why are you talking to me? And then uh, she goes on to explain it as if he didn't know. For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, <laughs> thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. And by the way, the well is very deep. I've been there. I can testify of that. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, <laughs> give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. At this moment, if she was able to blush, she blushed because the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. Today we'd give her an Academy Award, wouldn't we? Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. That is, now she's just living with a man without even the benefit of a marriage ceremony. In that Saidest thou truly, Jesus said, you're telling the truth when you say, I have no husband. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And I'm going to stop there for just a moment, but I want you to notice this divine appointment. Here was a woman, she was bound by sin. Here was a woman who had really a thirsty soul. It was God that she was thirsting for, but she had gone from husband to husband. She had gone from affair to affair and it had all turned to dust in front of her, and she's now just a sort of a faded flower. She's living now with a man without even the benefits of marriage. She has become the dirty plaything of, a, I suppose, a dirtier man. You know what people would call that today? The new morality. 
Well, we can tell from John chapter 4 it's not new. And it's certainly not moral. And we have the same thing today in Hollywood uh, has, is leading the uh, pack. <laughs> By the way, people talk about reforming Hollywood. I think you'd probably be easier to run a soda shop in hell than to reform Hollywood. If it happens, that would, that would be wonderful. But that's not where I'm pinning my hopes. I want to tell you the truth. Uh, these, these actresses like, with faces like angels and morals like alley cats are becoming the entertainment in America today. And people are having that filth piped right into their living room. Well, here was this woman. She was bound by sin. Don't envy these people who live in this lifestyle. Pity them. Pity them. I thank God for a Christian home, a godly marriage. And friend, that's what you ought to strive for. And that's what you ought to build by the grace of God. But she was bound by sin because she'd been blinded by Satan. Satan had lied to her. Satan said, this is the way you're going to find satisfaction, lady. Now, the devil, as he said, offers high wages, but he pays in counterfeit money. The Bible says the bread of deceit is sweet, but afterward a man's mouth shall be filled with gravel. Satan had blinded this woman, and now she's just broken by sorrow. She's been discarded by these men like some kind of a worn-out garment. Now, sin has its thrills but it doesn't have its joys. Sin thrills, then it kills. It fascinates, then it assassinates. And here she was. Here she was, bound by sin, blinded by Satan, broken by sorrow. But Jesus must needs go through Samaria. This was a divine appointment, and Jesus begins to talk to this woman about living water about uh, drinking from the well of salvation himself, the fountain of living water. Now, what she did was what many people do when you start to zero in on their spiritual need. She began to argue denominations. She said, now, wait a minute. You're a Jew, we're Samaritans. The Jews worship in Jerusalem. Uh, the Samaritans worship in Samaria. The Jews worship on Mount Zion. We worship on Mount Gerizim. Uh, which is the right place to worship? Have you ever noticed how people want to argue denominationalism rather than talk about salvation? <laughs> Which is the right place uh, to worship? She's saying, we worship here because our fathers worship here. Our father Jacob worshiped here, and our fathers are telling us this is the right place to worship. A Baptist was talking to a Methodist trying to get the Methodist to be a Baptist. The Baptist said to the Methodist, why are you a Methodist? Why aren't you a Baptist? He said, well, I'm a Methodist because my father was a Methodist and his father was a Methodist, so I'm a Methodist. The Baptist said, that doesn't make sense. What if your father was a fool and your grandfather was a fool? Then what would you be? He said, well, I guess I'd be a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> People just want to argue religion. That's what this woman is doing. She's saying, uh, uh, where should we worship? Look in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, Jesus now begins to talk to her about what I want to talk to you about today, and that is the subject of worship. Oh, what this woman needed was an encounter with the living God, and that encounter is called worship. Now, this woman only had uh, two alternatives, at least that she knew of. That is, she could worship at Mount Gerizim, uh, the place of worship there that the Samaritans had built, 
or she thought maybe in Jerusalem. Now, these were the two options of that day. Now, let me tell you what they were like. The Samaritans worshiped with zeal. As a matter of fact, there's still a few Samaritans alive today. Did you know that? I have been to this place, and I've been up on Mount Gerizim, and I have met some Samaritans. There's some real, live, living Samaritans today. Just a handful of them, just a few hundreds of them that are still living today, still worshiping there. Now, let me tell you about the Samaritans. The Samaritans rejected most of the Old Testament. They only kept five books of the Old Testament, what we call the Pentateuch. The rest of it, they said, <laughs> we don't have anything to do with. So they rejected primarily a good part of the Word of God. But you talk about worshiping with fervor and zeal. They still do that. They still make animal sacrifices today. These Samaritans have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Now, that's the kind of worship they had in, in Samaria. Now, the Jews, they worshiped in Jerusalem. They believed all of the Bible of that day, the Old Testament. They believed it from Genesis to Malachi. They believed it all, and they worshiped there in the temple. But their religion was dead, dead as a wedge. Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied of you, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So what you had here on the one hand is uninformed zeal and on the other hand, dead orthodoxy. Now that's what you have today, folks, all around. If you look around, by and large, we have basically the same thing today when people are trying uh, to worship. The Samaritans worshiped in ignorance, but they had zeal. The Jews had the truth, but they rejected the spirit. Thank God we don't have to choose between enthusiastic heresy or lifeless orthodoxy. And so uh, this woman had these two options. Uh, uh, they had the heat without light or light without heat, to fry in fanaticism or to freeze in formalism, but neither one of them knew the truth of what it is to worship. Now, with that as a background, I want you to look now at the Scripture. In verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, that is Mount Gerizim where they were, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. That is, you've got ignorant worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. They had the truth. But now notice verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit, that's what the Samaritans specialized in, and in truth, that's what the Jews specialized in. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, with that in mind, I want to talk to you about worship today. What is worship in spirit and in truth? Very quickly, I hope you get these facts down. Fact number one, we must worship the right person for it to be true worship. Look, if you will, in verse 23. The Bible says, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You must worship the right person. And who is the right person? The Father. Idolatry is to worship the wrong God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 says, There is but one God, the Father. There is but one God. Now, we have today people who don't want to call God Father. 
Uh, they want to call God mother. As a matter of fact, some, some foolish people have even uh, rewritten the Bible to call God the Father, Mother God, and all of this theological garbage. And that's what it is, folks. I hate to tell you this, but sheer garbage. God is Father. Father is not what God is like. Father is what God is. That is the very nature of God. That does not demean or demote anybody. It just simply means that God is Father. Do you know what we're seeing today? A subtle move from Father God to Mother Earth. Have you noticed that? Beyond that, some to Uncle Sam. <laughs> from Father God to Mother Earth to Uncle Sam. But friend, we must worship. We must worship the right person. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. Did you know that Jesus called God Father more than 70 times in the Gospels? It was His favorite term for the Almighty. Now, that blesses me. That blesses me because I've been thinking about the nature of God. You, you think about His omnipotence, His mighty power, He can do anything. You think about His omniscience, He knows everything. You think about His omnipresence, He's everywhere. Somebody said that God is a circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. That's a mind-boggling thought. Uh, that's His omnipresence. Those are great big double-jointed words. And many of us can't understand that. Many of us can't relate to that. But Father, we can relate to. Isn't that right? Father. Yeah. Uh, Rich, uh, somebody was telling me in their church that there's kind of some turmoil. Well, I'll tell you what it was. It was a dear friend of mine, and with uh, he's a Catholic gentleman, and with a new pope. Why they were very concerned because things are different, and all this, and on and on and on. And so I just emailed him, and I said, "Well, you got to remember." God is God, and He doesn't change, and His Word is timeless. You put your faith in Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And, uh, and that's in the Bible, and that doesn't change, and that's what we've got to remember, isn't it? And God's Word is forever settled in heaven. So many churches are going through, denominations are going through that, and people get caught up in deifying a denomination or deifying a certain, as Dr. Rogers was speaking about it. And I tell you what, let's go to this song now, and I want the people to enjoy it and just catch the meaning. And I'll be back in a second. History has tested our faith. Wars, atrocities, injustices, and natural disasters have, over the centuries, made believers wonder if there is a God, and if so, where is He when we suffer? But nothing has tested our faith so much as the human mind itself, that both naturally needs to worship the God of awesome creativity and unfathomable order, but at the same time tries to reduce this majesty 
into someone we can control, a God created in our image. Thankfully, the God who created our intelligence in the first place doesn't shrivel when we use our minds to question His existence. He holds us until we cease our struggling and finally surrender to His embrace. to get out of here pretty quick but but we got some fantastic calls from our listening audience and they were all uh what do you call that um, typed up and read the, tran- the transcribed they all transcribed them and every last one of them was read some of them were from wyoming and thank the people in south dakota and the new stations in Arkansas. Give us that number really yes, quick. Yes, it's 1-800-345-2621. 1-800-345-2621. And one more thing we heard earlier from Dr. Adrian Rogers. Of course, that's from the Love Worth Finding broadcast, which you hear every day on Bot Radio Network. This is Dick Bot uh, with this chapter of The Complete Stories of Public Service, and we got to get out of here. See you later.